A warning to our listeners at the outset, this podcast episode contains the reading of a work of poetry that contains adult content and language. And you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo and our guest today is John Jeffire. Now, John is a writer here in the Detroit area, has been for a long time, in fact, and runs the whole gamut in terms of being creative on the page through the written word. He has novels, short stories, poems, which is what is what he's here for today, but also, as he reveals in our chat, um, screenplays, musicals. He has really tried it all, also is a teacher and uh, engages with high school students with their writing and he has some beautiful things to share about uh, his experiences there as a teacher as well but he is on the podcast primarily because he has a new book coming out it is called a temple for tomorrows and it is coming out on uh, aquarius press which is a great uh, detroit based uh publishing house it has put out a lot of great michigan poets and writers over the years has been around for about 20 years now John Jeffire uh, really made a mark uh, about 15 years ago with a great novel, Motown Burning. It was named a grand prize winner in the Mount Aerosmith novel competition. And uh, he's uh, won other awards as well. His first book of poetry, uh, Stone Fist, Brick Bone, was uh, nominated for a Michigan Notable Book Award about 10 years ago. And uh, we talk a lot, in fact, about Detroit-based poet. Philip Levine, the late Philip Levine, former U.S. Poet Laureate, and uh, one of Jeff Iyer's fans got to, Jeff Iyer got to meet this great poet, uh, and we actually talk a lot about that as well, uh, but uh, Levine was a, a fan of Stone Fist, Brick and Bone. I, as your host of this podcast, am a fan of Temple for Tomorrows, which is uh, out this season just in time for National Poetry Month. So we're talking about the written word with John Jeffire on this podcast. He has three selections from the book to share, so he'll be doing some readings with some Q&A in between. Here's our chat. Well, greetings, everybody. My name is John Jeffire, and I'm going to read the poem Birth Certificate. At exactly 6.25 a.m. on April 6, 1962, I sprung dumb from the viaduct gutter outside Detroit Mount Carmel Mercy Hospital, backed up with rainbows of transmission fluid, sog defeated leaves, frayed tire treads, and a dead Doberman's decayed bald paw. I was the 121st birthday that day one of 874, all of us sharing Mickey Cochran's birthday, just two months before he unstrapped his shin guards and headed to the great dugout in the sky. E.W. Prichette, M.D., attendant at birth, confirms I flushed full form from the East End's rectum, nickel-pitching, penis-popping Hermes with a stewpot helmet, singing the fight song of an ivy-walled college that would never accept me on its most deluded day. That morning, I bit my own umbilical and spit the shank of flesh, tethering me to the assembly line of blank bank statements of an overdrafted confession booth, 
and a cracked tooth. On April 19, 1962, C.P. Anderson, M.D., officially registered the birth on account I had not come to my two-week-old senses and cashed out of the madness early, instead opting to let life play out in its choking monotony, flunk science tests, cheating girlfriends, flat tires and empty gas tanks, a stay in the county lockup, bosses who cared less that I was alive, let alone born, than the ex-wife and my cable rep. All this was certified in 1988 by the Honorable Coleman A. Young, Mayor, on behalf of the Detroit Department of Health. So I now present this document, the official confirmation of my every failure to be someone other than a seven-pound, 11-ounce ghost crying and shitting his way into the world, demanding 15 minutes of love and respect, a paper stamped by the great maker and Governor George Romney and Mayor Jerome Cavanaugh, and anyone else who would listen, that Johanna Marie Kazemka, maiden name, born in Denora, Pennsylvania, and her husband, Thomas W. Jeffire Jr. of Detroit, an apprentice of the Ford Motor Company, who was too stewed at Bookie's Tavern on Washington Boulevard at Grand River to realize he had a second son scribbled onto his ledger of mouths to feed, had bestowed a gift of some sort on humanity, ammonia breath, shrieking at the Packard plant off I-94, my birth and this day were truly like no other. Bravo. Thank you so much for reading that, John, and thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness, an entire memoir uh, and a sort of exhilarating tour of the history of the city in two pages. (laughs) That is incredible. And and I I just kept thinking, uh, asking the sort of first general dumb question of for you as as a as a poet, you have modes, you have a a novelist mode, you have a short story writer mode, you have a poet mode. How for example, like that poem, how long did it take to, to write that? Do you sort of have a, a way that you usually work? Does it take a day? Do you like to get it done in an afternoon? Does it take weeks? Does it vary? Well, how, how about that one? Jeff, I wish I had an answer for that. <laughs> it was a, a patented, here's step A, here's step B, and it, it works all different ways depending yeah. on the different piece. I tell my students, I, I teach high school, that mm-hmm. what it takes a novelist 500 pages to tell a short story writer can do it in 30 pages. Mm-hmm. A poet can do it in 30 words. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as you kind of uh, navigate those different landscapes, mm-hmm. um, you have to, as you said, go into different modes. Now, even with a poem, though, some of them come out and they're pretty dang close. Yeah. And it takes a little bit of tinkering, a little bit of play with words, and you got it. Others... Years later, you're going back and saying, you know what, I didn't get that right. right. Or, or, or this whole section has to go. What, you know, what was I thinking? And so I, I really don't have a good answer for that. You do have such a way with words. I wondered if you could tell us about when in your life that really started, uh, when you became sort of not just enamored with the written word, but I guess started discovering that you had a, uh, uh, a capacity for really shaping such vivid scenes and finding all these beautiful words out of the ether. Tell us about, I guess, your history as a writer. Well, I, I, I'm i still trying to be a writer. I'm still, <laughs> trying, to, still trying to figure that out. Uh, how do you be a writer? I don't, yeah. uh, but I, I can say this, and that is um, I grew up in a, a family bar mm-hmm. 
my father was uh, bar none in my lifetime, the greatest storyteller that I ever heard. And yeah. he was a man who had no education or anything like that, but damn, that guy could tell a story. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, and I, and I worked in the, in the family bar and I can remember at closing time, you know, it'd be last call and right around 2 a.m. And uh, there was a core of people that always stuck around. And that's when my dad held court mm-hmm. and he was in his glory. Yeah. And those people stuck around and we would lock the front door and officially we were closed. But that place would stay open another couple hours. And I was mopping up and I was uh, stocking the coolers and uh, doing all the, you know, the, the bar stuff that you've got to do to get ready for mm-hmm. the next day. And he and about five or six guys would just be there telling stories. And I listened and I listened and I, I was mesmerized by my father. And it's like, you know, damn, why are these, why, why are these guys listening to it? Well, part of it is they're drunk out of their minds. <laughs> they, they probably don't want to go home and they have no place to be. But the other part was he's good. Yeah. He, he, he can he can spin a yarn. Yeah. So that, that really, if I were to give any credit or, or try to find some type of genesis to the whole madness of writing, I would say uh, I, I blame it firmly on my father. Right. Oh, well, there is, you know, there is something when someone is in a room surrounded by even five people or 10 people and there's when a good story starts going and the words start flowing, there's an electricity in the air almost. It's almost like the person or the oh, teller man. themselves becomes radiant or luminescent onto themselves. And it's like sitting around the campfire. But the storyteller is the fire. Uh, that's kind of intense. When I, I just pulled that he, one out of there. He becomes the, the epicenter of this world that he creates. Mm-hmm. And in my father's case, the more people listened, the more it just spurred him on Mm -hmm. and the taller the tales got, the more ridiculous the tales got. And and he was a very, uh, he he had uh, boxed at the Brewster center downtown and um, he he had been in the army, the Marine Corps. And and so he had, it it was a very uh, crude at at times vulgar, but always entertaining uh, form of storytelling that he, that he engaged in and Mm -hmm. uh, he never failed to deliver. So, It was, uh, I, I recall all of them very fondly with, uh, and, and still can hear his voice many times as he told some of these just outrageous stories. Well, uh, we are on the cusp of National Poetry Month, which is next month. You know, folks might know you yeah. for uh, for a novel like Motown Burning, but tell us about indulging your, your poet side, because when you are the poet, it, it is kind of like you get to be that exciting storyteller in the room. You get to, you get to almost deliver a song it's very it's like such a concentrated power what was it like for you sort of developing that poet side of you and what do you find fulfilling about that side of you well i, I think you bring up an interesting point and that is it is you try to uh you, you begin with this impulse to to speak mm-hmm. and this impulse to try to convey something and there are there are some genres that just fit that particular message yeah. more than others yeah. and what what i say in poetry is not something i can say in a novel and what i say in a novel is not something i can say in a poem and you either say well i'm just i'm a novelist and i'm going to stick the novels and the poetry thing that might have been good but it's not where uh, you know for for many <laughs> good writers they just say that that's where i make my money so i'm not going to waste my time right for me uh I, I just I like all forms of writing and the um, 
I actually started as a poet and then uh, moved over to trying my hand at, at the novel. And then, you know, I, I love to write short stories too. And I've got a, I, I you know, I, I dabble with various degrees of success with the like screenplay mm -hmm. and, uh, I even uh, uh, have put together a very bad musical, and uh, it just I just enjoy it. So I, whether I'm good at it or not, I, really to me it's not the impetus to, to to go forward. It's just I got so much time here on the earth, yeah. and I got stuff I want to get off my chest. So sure. I'm going to do it no matter what. Screenplays too, anything on a page. It's like anything on a page for you. Now uh, this book, Temple for Tomorrow's. Now you have it. Uh, sectioned off into three sections. Now, you read the opening poem, which is from the opening section titled Hustle. Uh, that is sort of part Hustle. one. And then part two, uh, What Rough Beast, uh, It's Our Come come Round, uh, is part two. Now, do you want to read another poem, potentially from part two? Please. I would love to. Take yeah. the floor. No, I, I would love to. I, I'd be happy to read this. It's called sure. How We Heal. We claim the year the locust is stolen with hearts made soft by the mallet rain of bad fate and the hard acrid fire of its blackened face. Think of an inferno filtered through a glass of wine. Humility drills the skin of our outer self to the self within the ghost inside the apparition. How we change we cannot say but that does not stop our tongue. We're poured the mute cup of suffering because we can stomach it and pledge obedience to pierced palms and ribbon side. And the truth we are the cup from which we drink, the bent stem, split lip, and battered body. We mend in the presence of those more broken, extending a fractured hand to fill the cup again. Now, the word I keep coming to for your your poems is visceral. Uh, you know, visceral and cathartic. Uh, you know, when I was reading these these poems, and especially even when I hear you read them, and I don't know how to articulate this, but I, and I, I don't, I don't want to come off sounding new agey too, but man, I can feel them, you know, man, I can see them, hear them, smell them. You know what I mean? It's, if you have gotten one thing right as a poet, John, oh my gosh, you really, you really take us there. Uh, not a question, just a, just a statement. I, I appreciate that. But, That's, uh, that might make me write for another couple months now you should you should uh but you know maybe you know you kind of you kind of talked about how you're still learning how to be a poet and still learning how to be a writer but maybe t tell us what it is like when you are in the 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 heat of it when you are in the fires of creative uh creative exertion what is it like because as i said when you write your poems they're you know they have a grittiness to it they have a texture they almost it, it's almost like a they can hit you like a like a cold autumn wind sometimes they can they can really pluck your heartstrings with some like suddenly revealed vulnerabilities so you know you have to make the decision either i commit to trying to getting this message right or the message is just too big for me mm -hmm. and I, I just don't have the skills for it and i think sometimes um maybe my training as a wrestler takes over and I'm yeah. stubborn and I say, I'm not going to be defeated by this idea. I'm going to find a way to say this. I'm going to, I'm going to try to wait, try to find a way that this has to be told. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, it, it, I mean, it's been said, what, what is a, you know, what, what is a piece of writing? It's, it's a good story told. Well, mm -hmm. that's it. Don't, don't make it complicated. Sure. 
Sure. And you know, how, how do you find it? You may have a great story, but you don't know how to tell it. Right. You may have a great voice, but you just don't have anything to say that anybody gives a damn about. Right. So it's, it's the trick is trying to find both of those and, you know, using the, the ancient metaphor when the muse strikes, mm-hmm. um, to, to listen and be spurred into action. Yeah. Uh, counted among some of your influences are gents like Raymond Carver, um, from a novelist oh, perspective, yeah. and then, you know, Detroit's own Philip Levine now, and then, and then you kind of already mentioned the wrestling background. So a lot of people might think, oh, okay, this guy might, this guy, John Jeffire must be a hard boiled kind of gritty, gruffy kind of a guy, but I do really find I think, moments... you're, saying, I think you're saying jerk there Jeff. But, uh, <laughs> that's okay that's okay i do think and i wanted to i learned how to, I learned how to read between those lines there so <laughs> i wanted to pivot immediately into a poem that i really love uh called i think it's called nest so just as an example to open that one up uh and this is about you know discovering oh. uh, a wounded animal and you yourself are wounded i think there are moments of real you aren't the the gruff jerk. You're sort of you are ten, you are tender, empathetic, uh, vulnerability stuff coming through here. Some 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 real real beautiful moments of catharsis um, as a poet. Again, not a question, but you do go there. You do you do put your whole self on this page. Well, I, I, it's like being an athlete. Either you yeah. go all in, or you or why why do it? Yeah. Why why go fifty yeah. percent? Why um, why why pretend that you're uh, committed to this yeah. unless it's it's a hundred percent to be committed to it. Now, what what is the risk? You run the risk of being called sentimental. You run the risk of um, you know, oh, that's that's just kind of uh, cheesy mm-hmm. or, or what have you. And uh, it's one thing that you know, as an athlete, you learn. You know, you win and you lose, mm-hmm. and it, it's not a matter for lack of effort. It's just uh, it's it's what happens, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, you try to learn from it. So from all the misses, and I've got plenty of misses, plenty of rejection slips, uh, more than I would care to uh, count at the moment. But, um, you know, you, you you take the risk. And if you're not, you know, and it's what I tell my students in high school. Uh, some of you are writing what you think I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And invariably, it's not going to work. And uh, I can tell that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when you're ready to tell me something, you are ready to tell me something. Mm-hmm. I'm here to listen, but right right now I'm just getting the impression you you're, you're playing that old student game. Right. What is it? What is it the teacher wants? What's going to get me an A? Uh, you know, I've been I've been listening to this guy Jeff Fire for some time, and he seems to like this, this, and this. So I'll just kind of hit the I'll, I'll do the greatest hits thing of of striking every little thing I think he wants to hear, and of course it ends up being completely false right. and um, horrible. <laughs> and, right, right. Uh, 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 but, you know, I, and that's the other thing, I, I learned from them too, because I sometimes I'll, I'll read their writing, I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. That's what I was just doing in this poem. And I don't like when this kid's writing it. Think how bad it sounds when, I, <laughs> when I've just done it. So um, they, take, they teach me a ton. That's I mean, great. I'm, I'm very grateful to, to, to have the job that I have. Yes. Yeah, that is, that's got to be a whole other factor. You kind of already touched on of fulfillment. Um, and that, that is so cool that, that that gets to shape you too as a writer. You don't, you don't necessarily as the teacher get to 
sort of put your feet up on the desk and say, all right, kids, put the paper on the desk. I'll grade it. You're absorbing it, um, which is beautiful. Uh, oh, it's it's it, it's an honor. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it really is um, something to be very grateful for yeah. because not everybody gets that chance. Yeah. And um, I, I, I say I, I really don't teach them. I I I, I show them how to teach themselves. Yeah. And if if it goes right they don't need me. They don't need me looking over their shoulder. They don't need me with my red pen. <laughs> and um, Walt Whitman said, uh, I, I might botch this, but he said something to the effect of, uh, I am the teacher of athletes. He that by me spreads a breast wider than my own proves the width of my own. He most honors my style who under it learns to destroy the teacher. And um, if you do it right, your students destroy you. They come out <laughs> And they're better than you are. Yeah. And and you learn that as a coach right. that, uh, you know, if 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 I really do the job right, yeah. Whatever records I held, and they 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 weren't very many, but whatever ones I did hold, my proteges will destroy those and erase me, and and uh, they will then set the new standards. And I feel the same way about the writers as well. I work with some very gifted kids and kids who show great potential. Mm -hmm. And it's important for me to try to get them to understand that their words matter mm -hmm. and their words can exist beyond the fulfillment of an assignment. Mm -hmm. they, they can go on to um, all forms of expression. I've got some kids that have gone on to be musicians and uh, uh, kids that have worked at our Detroit kids that have uh, one kid was uh, uh, editor at Michigan State for their literary magazine, and um, they do amazing things. So just to kind of sit back and watch that take place, it's like, wow, that's that's cool. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Now, I, I, I mentioned Philip Levine or, uh, earlier, uh, and I have to ask just kind of generally about the city of Detroit. I mean, it is, it is such a – it is itself seems to be – a source of inspiration for you. And it it's plays a big part in the opening poem that you began this podcast with and, you know, uh, Motown burning and, and all of this, all of this reverence for Detroit. Um, you mentioned, and you mentioned your father too. Could you just talk a little bit about that? I mean, this podcast is going to air or premiere a few days later, but here we are on, you know, 313. It's Detroit day. Any thoughts to share about this city and how it is, uh, I guess how it is uh, in your writing. Yeah, I, I call it the magical city. Yeah. And, and why? Uh, I mean, so many different reasons. Yeah. Um, I, and I and I try to, to get my kids that I have in class to understand, uh, you know, we live we live uh, in, a, in a suburb north of the city, but we're metropolitan Detroiters mm -hmm. and you come from this legacy. And most of their kids, most of those kids, they've had grandparents who work in the factories, parents that are still in the auto industry. And it's, you're, you're a part of this, this great beast that uh, has been growing and has taken its hits certainly. But uh, I, I take them back, you know, World War II, uh, we're, we're the city that defeated Hitler. I mean, who wouldn't have happened without Detroit and the industry and the ingenuity and uh, the, the, just the raw uh, power of uh, industry that was channeled into the war effort. And then 
artistically, I said, there's something about Detroit that just, um, it drives people yeah. to want to express themselves. Uh, there was recently, um, we ran into uh, a situation where we started talking about Jack White in class. And, um, you know, and I, and I shared an interview uh, with him and he talks about that. And it's, it's just something about that, uh, that impulse to make people want to speak growing up in this kind of gritty industrialized environment, this mm -hmm. blue collar environment. Uh, it, it spurred, you know, Motown and techno music and, you know, the MC5 and, and uh, so much uh, uh, creation that comes out of it. We talk about the Brewster projects and, you know, you've got uh, uh, Diana Ross grew up there and Lily Tomlin grew up in the Brewster projects. And it's just all these people from different walks of life that have been bred and conditioned and, and got that fire in the belly to express mm -hmm. themselves in so many different ways. Uh, our, our high school, uh, Paul Feig, who uh, is the creator of Freaks and Geeks, and he did um, the Bachelorette Party or something like that, the one with uh, Kristen Wiig. And, yes, uh, yes. Or whatever that's called, but you know, he, he wrote and directed that. Right. And uh, Dan Guy is he's sensational. Right. He came and I, I tell the kids, and then and Sean uh, Murphy Bunning, who just won a Super Bowl with the, um, uh, oh, the Buccaneers, uh, Buccaneers. Yeah. he went to our high school. So I said, kids, you, do you understand the hallways you're walking down right. have led people to Hollywood? They led people to the highest heights of athleticism. There's something in this building that can motivate you down so many different paths. Mm -hmm. and, and it's what I loved about uh, Amanda Gorman uh, at 22 years old, uh, speaking at an inauguration and, and uh, just wowing everybody. All of a sudden, poetry was cool again. It was. Uh, Still and, is. And, uh, and, and, and it, it always was, yeah. but you know, it goes through phases. Like back in the '60s, when I was growing up, man, you were a poet. You were you were a cool dude, man. Yeah, as a poet, oh, it's yeah. like automatically, it's like whoa. Right. Let's you know, everybody, we got to go party with him. We got to right. go hang around this guy and, and see what he says. You know, the Dylan effect. And, it, and then it got to be uncool. And now Amanda Gorman's made it cool again. And then she does this commercial on the Super Bowl. And she talks, you know, delivers more poetry. And then she's got this, I, I share with my kids, she's got this now deal with, um, I don't know what it was, some cosmetic line or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's like, she's a rock star. From poetry. You know, so, so you know, yeah, yeah. So there's a path out there for yeah. you, whether it's Sean Murphy Bunning and, right. and you're an athlete or if you're Paul Feig or you're Amanda Gorman, I mean, there's there's many ways to make your mark out there. Yeah, or Jack White or whoever. It's hard not to have that reverence, and then it is so important to realize that all the potential is is still here. All of, it can it can come from this. You can blossom from this soil. It's beautiful. Um, oh no, and it's and, it, and I and I if, if you don't mind, I mean Levine was that guy yeah. for me, and. Um, just, just to, to, to yes. pay a little uh, an incredible poet respect to uh, Levine. Um, I, you know, when I was in high school, I, 
I wasn't interested in anything going on there. I didn't, my, maybe I had good teachers, but if I did, I I wasn't listening to them and nothing that they said impressed me one way or another. And it, it just was something I wanted to get over with. And I had an opportunity to go to college, mainly through connections with wrestling. And I really felt out of place there because my parents were not, didn't go to college, anything like that. And, and um, my older brother who was like the smartest guy I, to this day that I've ever met. He, he's, a, he's a brilliant man. Uh, shall we say college was the 10 best years of his life. He kind of went to one college and flunked out or something happened and then this happened and he kind of took a couple of classes over there and then it didn't. So I was thinking as at that age, you know, my brother's way smarter than me. If he's, if he's not graduating and he's flunking out, that's what's going to happen to me. So I kind of said, I, I'll go there. I'll, I'll, I'll wrestle a little bit, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to uh, have fun and just, just bide my time until the inevitable happens. But when I, I got there though, there was some uh, very transformational events that took place. One was uh, a guy who became my mentor, Albert Glover, and and uh, I, I dedicate this latest book to him because uh, I owe him immensely. Uh, but he ran a class called Contemporary American Poetry, and in that we did a little unit on Philip Levine. Now, my idea of poetry at, until that time was that you know it's about kittens and clouds and you know, warm, sunny days. And it's A-B, and, uh, A-B structure. Oh, yeah. yeah. All it, that. It was, uh, right. Hallmark greeting cards uh, was the extent of poetry. So I just took the class. And then but when he went over Levine, it was like, that's poetry? And my uh, one of my professors at Northeastern, he said, well, you know, obviously, you, you know, you, you're crazy about this, Le- this Levine guy. Um, I can set up a meeting for you. And I, I was like, what the hell? Wait a second. Wait, wait, like he's a real person. He's not the, you know, this this kind of mysterious holographic figure that appears every now and then, and you know, shares this this brilliant art. And I, I was like, uh, okay, yeah. So I remember he set it up, and I I drove my uh, I had a pickup truck at the time. I drove it over to Tufts, and um, he was living with his wife Fran uh, just off campus. And he was the most incredible, gracious, cool guy you could ever imagine. And um, his wife, Fran, got his tea and uh, I brought him poems. And uh, it, it was just this uh, magical, magical experience. And I, I would show him a poem and he would, uh, it was tough. My, he, he boxed at the Brewster Center too, like my father. So you know, there was just like so much in common. It was like, it was like meeting an uncle, you know? Uh, and he, he would look and he'd say, ah, well, uh, right here, what, what are you doing? What, what, that, that word choice. No, 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 no. That's not, no, that's got to go. And I was just, I sat there spell, but I, I was, I compare it uh, to like, um, you know, you, you get a chance to play street hockey with Gordy Howe or right, something. And right. it's just like, oh my gosh, you right. get to go shoot hoops in the backyard with right. Michael Jordan right. for an hour or so. And it, it, that was, that was my oh. moment like that. And then, um, he, he was just amazing. He taught me more. And I, I, I might have been there an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. I think he I think he was amused by me more than anything. <laughs> uh, and then I drove him to the train station at uh, down at Boston Garden, uh, where North Station is, where the tra- main train depot is. And uh, then right before he died, uh, he did a reading at Oakland U. Mm-hmm. And um, in the interim between the meeting in grad school and then I had, I had published a, a 
book or a couple books, but I had sent the poetry book to him and, and he was such a great guy. He wrote me a postcard back, said, you know, thank you for sending me the book. And I'm like, you know, dude, you got to have better things to do than to waste your time on me. And then when I met him in Oakland there after the reading, he was, uh, yeah, it's good. You're Jeff Fire, Yeah. Great book. Great book. And it was <laughs> like, yeah, I was just, uh, <laughs> big moment teleported to the stratosphere oh, yeah. that, that this great man that I revered uh, I did this he even remembered me yeah. uh, was just a great experience but he, he passed on shortly after and that was a real um, it's just one of those moments you know you, you remember where you were when, when Kennedy was shot and yeah. I remember getting word of Levine passing mm -hmm. it just was uh, such a time to stop and reflect and uh think of all that he had done for me unwittingly and yeah. without you know trying sure uh, he did yeah little gestures little gestures even you know you talked about having a motivation to keep going for three months just based on you know me loving your poems but you know if that that bond you're able to build there if even if it was just three or four meetings that's that's got to be that's gas in the tank for a while so Oh, no, no, that's, yeah. that, that'll, that'll, that'll yeah. take me to my And yeah. I think um, as we go into your third and final reading, I should say the third part of your book is titled Tomorrow's, which inherently instills a sense of, I'll say hope, allows me some hope, forward thinking, tomorrow's sunrise. It's just, you know, so talk about, uh, in closing, talk about just in general how you feel to have this, this batch of poems out or about to be out in the world, Temple for Tomorrows, and I guess what what that idea of tomorrows means to you, and then we'll go into another poem. Sounds great. Um, well, the three sections, uh, Hustle, it's kind of more a Detroit-themed section, uh, What Rough Beast, uh, taken from uh, Yates, and, and there I tried to speak maybe more globally and, and uh, hit on um, uh, subject matter that, that transcended Detroit, and then in uh, tomorrow's, I, I then I try to bring it into a real personal focus, and, and those poems are um, uh, inspired by my wife and her battle with her health issues, and you know the idea of, of you know trying to make more tomorrows happen. She's she's afflicted with uh, Chiari malformation and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, she's got secondary Addison. She's got a, a, a number of comorbidities that really have, um, you know, just uh, devastated her health. And yet she maintains uh, an incredible uh, sense of vitality and is um, uh, a, a funny woman. She's just funny as hell and uh, very off color and maintains that that uh, sense about herself despite and, and maybe as a way of combating what she doesn't have much control over. And um, so in that final section, that is, that, is, that is just dedicated to her and me trying to tell her story. But at the same time, um, you know, you and I were talking about being cast in the role of caregiver and um, what that means. And it was something when we got married, she was ill and, you know, uh, she's had f uh, five brain operations in her, in her life. And, and she was ill when we met, but she was not ill. To, to the extent that she is now. And, you know, the thought of 
becoming a, a caregiver was not anything that was on her mind or it was not anything that was certainly on my mind, but we we found ourselves in this position. And it's, um, it's, it's territory that you chart as you go because you know, what, what tomorrow brings and what the next crisis is going to be. Sure. You, you have no way of preparing for it. And even when you think you're prepared, you're not. No. And you realize there's nothing I could have done. And, and you kind of have to settle into this idea that, I, you know, we got to make the moments count now because all this time you spend planning and, and um, obsessing about being prepared, you're, you're not living. So uh, that was kind of the genesis of that last section and, and many of the poems that came out of it. That's that is beautifully put and got me thinking about a lot of things and just this idea of yes, living in those moments and withstanding withstanding what you cannot predict. It just requires such a mental and emotional toughness, but you know, you're also just all of your actions are dictated by your heart and your love too in, in this in these days. So gosh, the just even the Capturing them down onto a page now in words is so beautiful. And so uh, as we go into this last poem, I just want to say it has been such pleasure to talk to you. Uh, uh, and we, we ran the gamut here. I really appreciate your time, John, and, and your poems too. So this is a beautiful batch of poems, Temple for Tomorrow's. I appreciate your yeah. indulgence and, and putting up with me for as I ramble on yeah, about this different great. subjects. Um, we appreciate you reading some poems um, too. We love having poems on the on the on the podcast. What is the final poem you want to read for us? Um, I'll read the poem "Found." Okay, and it's from that that last section tomorrow's. And um, I, 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 with my wife being ill, I, I've had a lot of time to uh, think about what what is it that brought us together? How how did this happen? What what was there? You know, is there some kind of plan? Is there some kind of cosmic blueprint or is it all chance is it all just mere coincidence my wife is fond of saying though there there are no coincidences and i at this point in our relationship i i, I think she's convinced me that there aren't coincidences that that there is something out there that you know moves us forward in various ways so mm -hmm. uh this poem is called found we met when we met a day sooner or later and this key would not turn no matter how hard I jiggled it. You, winter cloaked and scarved aglow, your grin out wanting the pinball machine in the neutral ground of a local pub. Plenty of witnesses. Blind date, blind side, sideshow shot. So I took it. We embraced. I felt the brittleness of your spine and ribs beneath the calliope piping of your hummingbird song. If you whiffed gin on my breath, you never cashed in as I crashed, glad giddy deep in your charm. That night, shins and elbows enmeshed, we crooned a flesh duet, our own, until jelly toast, coffee, and eggs became plane tickets, luggage, a lease, and a plate of God's promise heap high with peace. Woman, I've covered gray seas and ground my ricketed knees to the caps to heal the torn hemisphere. And in this finding, I am found. Thank you, John. Oh, thank you.
And that was John Jeffire. What a great conversation and three performances of three pieces from his new book, A Temple for Tomorrow's Out on Aquarius Press. This season, just in time for National Poetry Month, I encourage anyone out there to seek John Jeffire's books, read some of his words. While you're at it, maybe even jot a poem down yourself. I know I'm going to be trying to do it. I think it sounds like a very cathartic exercise, something that is uh, perfect to be done in April, which is the month of poetry. So thanks again to John Jeffire for being on the podcast. We thank you for listening to A Little Too Quiet, which is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, produced in-house here at the Ferndale Library, and I am your host, Jeff Milo, always grateful to have so many great local authors joining us. And as always, the music you hear on the way in and way out of this podcast is by local musician Chad Stocker. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>